0: Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And it's been a little while since we've done one of these. It's been a minute, which is a thing I don't like people saying. I don't know why. Well, uh,
1: I I like it. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say it lately, and I think it's,
0: like,
1: I I didn't hear it at all for, I'm going to say, 35 of my 36 years, and then I've heard, like, five people say it in
0: the last few months. That's. I wonder if that's. There's a name for that effect because I don't think it's. I don't think it's actually increased. I think you right. just noticed. it. I heard it at one point and then suddenly yeah. and it stayed with me. Yeah. There's yeah. a name for that effect where you like. So you once you become aware of something, yeah. suddenly you notice it. Well, it's the new.
1: Just, it's the car thing. Like when you when you buy a car, right? suddenly you, you see your. your yeah. Um, I see Kia Souls everywhere.
0: Do you? Yes. Um, wow. Well,
1: um, oh, sorry. I identify that I drive a Kia Soul. Yeah. But you know what? That's not going to make it very easy for people to find me because I'll tell you something, yeah. they're everywhere.
0: Right. Yes. You see, you see Kia souls everywhere, except your Kia soul doesn't know that it's a Kia soul until the very end. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes, um, yes. All right. Took me way too long to get to that. Um, <laughs> What was I going to say? So it's been a while, but I don't... Uh, so I have a number of movies to talk about, not as many as I would, because the first half of the time we took off of doing movie journals, I was at AFI Fest. Right. And so I'll we'll be talking about a bunch of those uh, in a few days yeah. with uh, with Scott and I. And then I went to uh, Boise, Idaho for Thanksgiving and uh, only saw one movie while I was there. So... Yeah. But you also were out of at, town, but at you At some point, up. I'm going to catch up with
1: you as a, but not as a function of you going to a film festival, like like we have. <laughs> I, you're only one movie ahead of me. Although, admittedly, if I incorporated a couple more rewatches, yeah. I would I would beat you. But when you get AFI Fest in there, it's like yeah, you you pull way ahead.
0: Yeah, because I was more. I saw more than ten movies. Yeah. I think at AFI Fest. So yeah, double okay. Uh, but let's just get started, right? Okay. Um, and we're going to get started with a, a, oh, a yeah. week one, unfortunately. Um, oh, yeah, but first we have to do uh uh we get to tell you exactly. the listeners about our wonderful sponsor that's a nice uh
1: backtrack there uh, yeah so this movie journal is brought to you by Miniflix a premier streaming site for award-winning short films Miniflix acquires short films that have premiered at Cannes Sundance Toronto International Film Festival and many more meaning that you can see great short films available nowhere else online Miniflix also offers several Oscar nominated and Oscar winning short films unavailable on typical free video platforms now along with these great short films Miniflix also has a blog featuring editorials and interviews so to check out uh, their catalog and read these great interviews uh, interviews interviews just go to the page for this week's movie journal and click on the mini flicks banner at the bottom
0: okay so uh, I know the listeners were in suspense what movie did David not like Uh, it won't be a surprise to you that I did not like the new animated movie The Grinch Um, which which got it's been getting better reviews than I expected that trailer looked
1: interminable
0: but that's what it is illumination (laughs) by the way Uh, yeah that is illumination (laughs) Yes, not not blue blue sky. sky Yeah, it's illumination and you can tell because it's full of unnecessary extraneous bells and whistles mm-hmm. part of that is because you're taking a thing that was perfectly timed out to be a half hour long tv special yeah and so it's just like oh little Cindy Lou has to get her letter to santa to the post office how about we do a whole thing where she's sliding down the hill and Ugh. she's going over clotheslines and just, it's a whole like roller coaster sequence just to chew up 3 minutes yeah <laughs> you know and uh, and the movie's just full of filler like that unfortunately um and uh, uh i'm not gonna spend much time on it because i found it uh really boring the only thing i liked was um keenan thompson does one of the voices hey. I, I always like keenan thompson he's funny yeah. yeah um so yeah he's he's the because um, in this version the grinch like hates whoville but he's not a total recluse like he has to go for supplies so the people know him better is he's not like the scary guy up on the hill he's like scrooge i guess yeah yeah yeah, more like that and so keenan thompson voices the one character who's so positive and so oblivious that he doesn't realize the grinch hates everyone (laughs) and just thinks of him as another friend all right that's Uh, that's, pretty funny yeah that's pretty funny um so yeah keenan thompson was the best part but uh what did you watch I watched,
1: yeah, I realize looking back, they're like, oh, it has been a while since we've done these. Uh, Steve McQueen's
0: Widows. Okay. Yeah, which I have also seen since we last recorded, but as a part of AFI Fest, but I will allow myself to take part in this conversation. all right.
1: I can see the sweat just pouring off your head trying to figure out if this is okay or not, if this breaks some kind of internal rule. Um, yeah, so there's a lot to like about Widows, as there's always a lot to like about Steve McQueen films.
0: Um, I, see what you're from, but I see what you're saying.
1: Specifically from a performance standpoint. Okay. And he is a capable director. Uh, but there's just something about Widows. It's tough because... In many ways, I would recommend it. It's got a great cast, and they're all doing great work. Um, but it's just it's a genre film that seems almost ashamed that's, that it's a genre film. It feels like it's a heist movie that he, he seems to have lost interest in the fact that there is a heist at some point, to the point that when it actually gets there, I and a number of other people I've talked to thought, "Oh yeah, huh, heist." I forgot. Um, and that's the thing is it feels very much, and I, I did not know going in that it was based on a TV show. A mini yeah. It felt to me like a truncated episode, a season of The Wire. Okay. Um, with like the very sprawling, s- and it just felt like it was just jammed into two plus hours. And so it just felt indulgent in some places, but also super perfunctory in others and I thought like yeah it's the kind of thing that honestly would undoubtedly would have worked better if he had made it a, a season for HBO mm-hmm. I think I would in this style I think I would have liked it a lot more
0: well I clearly liked it more than you I didn't love it because sometimes especially like in the first half I feel like I want to be like dude you've got like cars exploding and stuff H- have a little fun <laughs> yeah, like. but yeah. I, I do think he eventually does have fun part of it in a nasty way, Daniel Kaluuya's character, Daniel Kaluuya is clearly having fun playing the psychopath. Absolutely. And, um, he, again, in a dark way, uh, brought some of the fun to it. I also think Colin Farrell is incredible. He's marvelous. Uh, Um, um, now I've forgotten his name. Who plays Daniel Kaluuya's brother? Uh, Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah. I thought he was,
1: he did great. I always love him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, but I think, yeah, I think obviously Viola Davis, I'm a long time Michelle Rodriguez fan. Um, I'm, she doesn't do much for me. I hate to say it. She never too, has. I, that's too bad. I've always loved her. Um, and I feel like this is actually, uh, I've always loved her presence, but I feel like she's, she's doing more acting in this world than we have gotten to see her do in a long time. Cause I feel like that's she's true. been pigeonholed as the tough girl so much yeah. that here you see her have some vulnerabilities and some deeper, darker shades uh, to her character. Uh, I increasingly like Elizabeth Debicki. I liked her on The Night Manager, what I saw of it, which wasn't The eight and a half
1: foot tall Um, is Elizabeth Elizabeth Debicki. (laughs) I don't comment on people's height very often, but I've seen her in stuff before, and it just hasn't registered. And then suddenly you just see her towering over everybody (laughs) else in this film. It's like, this is, you know, Um, it's not a fault. And she does really good work, yeah.
0: And it's a, it, I mean, we, we could name cast members all day. You've got Robert Duvall. You've got yeah. Liam Neeson. You've got John Bernthal. You've got Jackie Weaver. Carrie Coon. Um, Carrie Coon, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, probably some more that I'm uh, drawing a blank on. Some obvious ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I eventually liked it more than you. I think I actually liked the sprawl because you were saying that you forgot about the heist. I... In a way, and I mean this in a good way, I kind of forgot that it was even meant to be a heist movie. I just saw right. it more as like a sprawling sort of crime and corruption type of thing. Yeah. And so there's a robbery at the end uh, that I think is actually really well done, including the aftermath of the robbery. Um, I don't want to give much away. Right. Um, I uh, I liked I liked all of all of that stuff. So I think I I liked it more as it built upon itself. I think setting when he's setting the scene in the first third to half uh i do feel like you're it's funny you're saying it could be longer i feel like he could have picked up the pace a little bit that's that's the thing is like i love sprawl my favorite <laughs> movie's
1: nashville i'm a big fan of traffic i just i like big ensemble casts for two and a half, 245 i'm a big fan of that but i do think that and and i don't think that you have to necessarily be hemmed in completely by the trappings of a of a specific genre but one thing about heist movies and again like i don't I, it's so not a heist movie that i have a hard time seeing it that way but i think it wants to be seen that way to a point And so, and it just, and the sprawl, which again is something I take, I delight in any number of scenes. Uh The scene with Michelle Rodriguez talking to that one, that guy,
0: that's the scene I'm talking about. It's It's marvelous. It's
1: marvelous. Yeah. Um, and it's that sort of thing that like, I, I adore it, but there is no, for me, forward momentum, uh, Hmm. to the film. And I think then in the, in that genre, that is like the one thing you need uh, so I don't know. It's I really wanted to like it more, but I think just for whatever reason, Steve McQueen as a director just does, it rarely works for me.
0: And I can see. I think uh, to to get back on your side about stuff I didn't like to talk about the lack of fun. Uh, I'm going to quote our friend who was on the podcast someone recently, Jake Jake Barton mm. uh, from Twitter when some people were complaining about the movie not being fun enough, he was like, are you kidding guys? This is a movie in which Viola Davis is constantly emerging from the shadows holding the fluffy white dog. (laughs) And that's funny. But also I feel like that kind of makes my point is that like the movie is full of fun stuff like that. But Stephen Queen seems to be often visibly resisting making it fun. Yeah. He's like, you you can just picture him like sweating blood behind the camera. (laughs)
1: Um, Incidentally, that's the same dog from game night.
0: I read that. I read yeah.
1: that. Yeah, and another film, but I did, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah, but yeah I, I also dog's, read that. The dog's working. The dog
0: gets around. Yeah. Um, all right. Should we move on? Yes. Oh, deep sigh. That's fun because I think uh, I clearly your favorite movie of the year is what you're about to talk <laughs> about. Uh, it doesn't come out for um, a little while now, uh, but I saw the second. Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie of the year and the second bad Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie of the year. So the first one is RBG, the RBG not
1: RGB. That's different. Uh, okay.
0: What's RGB? Uh, I thought, I think it's just short for like red, green, blue, like, oh, the, okay. the yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, no, I saw on the basis of sex, which is the oh, movie yes. from Mimi letter who I, uh, I don't know if it's a letter. I've always said letter. It might be a leader. Um, I've always been a big fan of, of her, but, um, I don't remember the last thing she did. Uh, well, she's—I mean, you know—you're going to get me up on my soapbox about mm. how female directors tend to stay in director jail longer when they have uh, mm. bombs than than uh, than male directors, uh, or at least certain male directors do. But uh, she's done a lot of television. Okay. Uh, but of course, she also made Deep Impact, which is not a great movie, but she made The Peacemaker, which is a really fun movie uh, with George Clooney and Nicole Kidman. And it features
1: one of my favorite generic action lines, you may recall. Oh, what is it? A guy got away with a bomb. <laughs> a character actually says that with a sense yeah. of urgency.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that does feel like the Feels screenwriter like- was like, we'll get back to this. <laughs> yeah. We'll put something else in here later. And, then, and then it makes the trailer. They're like, oh, shit, I forgot. Um <laughs> Anyway, so uh, but I feel like Mimi Letter is best when she's doing like she did one of the all time great ER episodes from this from season Hmm. one called Love's Labor's Lost, um, uh, which is a very emotional uh, uh, episode that has a lot of camera movement in and everything. And here you've got this biopic that is so, so by the numbers and is so afraid to let you think for a second that Ruth Bader Ginsburg might have ever made a misstep or, or not had the perfect response to everything that is, is said, you know, there's a, uh, there, like there's a, a the thing that actually happened. Cause she was a, like, I think the first class of women allowed at Harvard, hmm. I think, and this is the thing where, and this actually happened, by the way. They talk about an RBG. It really happened. The dean invited all, there were like nine women in the class, invited all of them for dinner, and then made them go around one by one and stand up and make a case for why they took a spot at the school that could have gone to a man. It's a real thing that he did to them. And, it's, uh, and yet the movie can't resist making it like a triumphant moment for her, as opposed to like, you know... It's just so it's it's just so tempting, I guess, to have that happen and have this guy be immediately put in his place. That's right. not the way the world really works. Yeah, but it's it, the movie's just taking shortcuts through history and constantly. There's a part where she's talking. And if you're about a being, college student, you're young, you're intimidated. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, they're grad uh, students gra- still. Uh, yeah, but yeah, um, uh, it, it just the premise of that argument though is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 they need to make a case for taking a. Ca- a spot I just away mean from that, like you. C- Oh, you, like she you, wouldn't you can have make had it, the, yeah, you yeah. can make it a
1: very human moment, not even a flawed right, yeah. moment. Yeah. It's just not a moment of triumph. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. But everything, everything has to be, um, there's another part, uh, uh, again, the early part is her at Harvard and she's talking to her husband, uh, played by army hammer. He's really good. Always mm-hmm. good. Um, uh, about how, basically I can't remember the exact line, but she's saying even something like even the smallest mistake seems glaring when you already stick out. Mm-hmm. And that's a good point about things we've heard about people who are minorities or who is, are seen as like token or quota or whatever yeah. hires, you know, the say they have to work twice as hard for half the recognition is something mm-hmm. that is often said. And that's a, that's a good point. But the problem with that statement is that we don't see her make mistakes. Yeah. She's yeah. constantly perfect. Yeah. So where are the stakes? Much yeah. less the mistakes. There you go. Um, <laughs> well done. Uh, and then the so that's that's sort of the, the beginning, of the part of the story. The the the, the bulk of the narrative is um, a sort of uh, a f- slightly fictionalized version of the case that did actually make her name because she was a, te- a law teacher for a long time because it was hard for for a woman to get hired at a law firm mm-hmm. uh, at that time. Um, and so, but she took this case. And sort of the, uh, and this, this is also covered in RBG, um, sort of the way that she opened the door into setting a precedent for gender discrimination is that she first fought and won a case in which a man was the plaintiff, a man, Mm um, this is, so in real life it was about him, um, hiring, trying to get a tax credit for hiring a caretaker for his children and that, that, that tax credit only being available to, to single mothers or widows oh, is not available to, uh, in the movie, they make it about, they make it so he was never married. So it's about him taking care of his mother, but it's the same basic okay. premise that he's not allowed to take a tax credit for, for hiring a part-time nurse when he's the only breadwinner in the home, mm-hmm. uh, because that is only available to women. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the bulk of, of the story. um, Chris Mulkey plays that guy. I, I always love Chris Mulkey. Um, How likable do they want to make that character? <laughs> uh, I think they want to make him like sort of. He's supposed to be sort of aloof, okay. and brusque. Like he's not.
1: Yeah, get, he's, they cast him right. I,
0: I think they wanted to make him not a Heroic revolutionary. Thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he's just sort of like I'm just trying to do my thing here. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, he's he's good. Um, the mean dean is sam waterston uh Hmm. another teacher at school is steven root um you've got a good cast here it's just the screenplay is just terrible uh it's just a waste of everyone's time all right Uh, unfortunately i'm telling you everybody
1: i tweeted this there's a movie out there called nino and ruth an unlikely uh-huh. friendship, starring Paul Sorvino as Antonin Scalia uh-huh. and Linda uh, Linda Hunt yeah. as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Perfect. Best of friends, constant debates. Yeah, opera, opera,
0: riding elephants. It's all there. Yeah. Why don't we make that? Yeah. I think we. It's just the need movie to, like, we need. Um, I'm uh, as a as a matter of principle, I'm against like gatekeeperism. Sure, but I do kind of think. That every potential biopic screenplay should be approved by me first, (laughs) because I'm just sick of I'm sick of these by the numbers biopics. It's just a waste of everyone's time. Again, when I when I
1: first as a joke threw out the term Aaron Brokovich syndrome, I didn't think I'd have to use it so often. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because you think after a while that people will get tired of the same type of biopic (laughs) over and over, but apparently not people
0: like to be inspired Ugh. I guess going to have your preconceived notions confirmed yeah makes some people feel good I don't know
1: and it's rooted in a cultural moment and if you if you show like a flaw because she's still alive she's still on right. you know she's still on the Supreme Court and so like some people might have thought that you were like going after her if you show her to be an actual flesh and blood human being <laughs> right yeah. you know uh anyway so okay uh, i saw a movie i have uh i do not recall the name of the director i was watching it because my friend is in it oh um it's called pledges it is a horror movie cool it is God awful. Oh, I mean, no. it is. I mean, he knew he. Okay. Here's the situation. So I'm part of a. I'm part of a Bible study, and uh, that we meet on Monday nights. And uh, this guy, whose name is Tyler Straceley, uh, he has been over on uh, more than one lesson. And a few years ago, uh, he kind of. He, there's a Kramer-esque quality to Tyler Stracely. Uh, He stumbles his ass into good fortune. Okay. And a few years ago, he's like, I'm going to try acting, uh-huh. and then got a lot of parts quickly. It's very strange. Uh, and then he's been on a shocking number of game shows. Uh, and so uh, so I do remember at the time he called me and said, hey, I got an offer for this movie. Uh, it's a low-budget horror movie called Pledges. And it, my, my character uh, is going to, there's going to be like a simulated sex scene. And he's like, you know, it a... He's like, from a, from a Christian standpoint, you know, you, you think about this stuff. What do you think? I was like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do what you got to do. And, uh, but uh, anyway, so finally, uh, in lieu of studying the Bible uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we opted <laughs> to watch Pledges. <laughs> oh, I like that. And, uh, and, it's, and you know what? I'll say this. I totally get why Tyler was cast. He plays his part really well. The acting in general is not bad. But it is crazy, this movie. It's nobody's heard of it, and, and why should you? I think it's available on Amazon, but um, it, it is like the director realized he was never going to get another chance, so he decided he was going to incorporate every movie into his movie. Uh, these these uh, you know it starts well enough as far as a premise goes. Um, yeah. I see you looking up on IMDb. Does Tyler, okay, there we go. So he, he you yeah, guys have a headshot that popped up. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so these, these, uh, you know, pledges to a, fr- a fraternity and sorority get kidnapped and taken out to the woods. And then you see a sign about like toxic fumes and it's like, okay, that'll, that's going to be a big role. What I didn't think is that it's like there are ghosts, out there, but also monsters and people turning into monsters and people going crazy. And it's like, so what does this gas do? Does it, why is there a supernatural quality to this? It's very strange. And it just felt like the director wanted to do everything and, and loses the thread. And let's, I'll say this, let's the actors improvise way too much. Um, and it's just, it's just awful on so many levels.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I probably won't watch it, but I would say your description could have been less enticing. Like the fact that. Oh, it, sure. The, the fact that it sounds like it has a lot of surprises in it. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. <laughs> like that's something. Yeah. You know, but it's the that kind goes of surpri- a long way for me. It's the, you
1: know, in horror movies, there's the surprise of like, oh, as opposed to what? <laughs> it's the second one. <laughs> right. So anyway.
0: Uh, all right. Well, speaking of horror movies, although well, not really. Um, I watched a movie um, that was. I say horror movies because it was released by Shot Factory and under their Scream Factory right. uh, horror imprint. Um, but it's not really a horror movie, and I'm so surprised that I'd never heard. They're of sometimes they're kind of broad. They're kind of a big tent yeah. with the Scream Factory label. Um, I'm surprised that I had never heard of this movie before. Um, it's directed by Frank Rodham who made Quadrophenia. Okay, it stars Sting who is also in Quadrophenia, Jennifer Beals, Clancy Brown, Carrie Elvis, a very yeah. small part oh, by Timothy Spall, credited as Tim Spall. Oh. It's called The Bride. Oh, it's a fr- yeah, Frankenstein thing, right? It's a it's sort of based on The Bride of Frankenstein, but only really from the jumping off point and it becomes mm-hmm. an entirely different different thing. Um, and I really really liked it. It's it so the beginning is Dr. Frankenstein making a bride for Frankenstein. He makes her, she's immediately beautiful. And so basically Frankenstein immediately says, no, this isn't, this isn't we're not going to do that. I'm going to yeah. do my own thing with this creation. And so for, uh, Frankenstein's monster, um, runs away and joins the circus. <laughs> Who, who's with, the monster? Uh, Clancy Brown. That's perfect. Yeah. And with, it could be, he joins the circus because he meets a, um, trapeze artist played by, do you know the, uh, late actor, David Raffleport, the little person he's, he's like, uh, he, I think he's like the leader of the crew yes. in time bandits. Yes.
1: Um, I believe he, I believe he committed suicide. Uh, oh,
0: I, I think that's, I didn't know that might be wrong about um, that, but yeah, but he's great. So then what are you, you? end up getting these two, it's, it's sort of two stories that it cuts back and forth, which is Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster. Um, learning to be more human, I guess, mm-hmm. by becoming a circus performer and learning friendship because he and David Evermore become very good friends, yeah. even though the circus they work for is very exploitative um, uh, and the people are cruel, but he learns friendship um, and he learns this sort of like basic primal humanity. On the other hand, you've got Sting as Dr. Frankenstein teaching Eva. The the Bride, put by Jennifer Beals, it's sort of a, like, um, Pygmalion type of thing. Mm -hmm. He's teaching her culture and teaching her clothing and fashion and etiquette and all of these things. Um, And so she's also learning more about the world but in a very different way. So it sort of becomes this dialectic between, like, Mm -hmm. sort of civilization and just basic fraternity as, like, what are the cores of humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really, really fascinating. I really liked it. It has... Just this beautiful, lots of, lots of French countryside location photography in the in the monster part. It's very gothic, very romantic. The music um, is by Maurice Jarre. Oh, Jare, nice. I yeah, yeah. Uh, beautiful, romantic. Like I don't just I'm not saying romantic in like a just a blanket way. Like it sounds like romance music. <laughs> well, he's the guy uh, for it. Yeah, uh, it, it's. Uh, the movie is, is strange. And I guess I kind of understand why it came out in 1985 and was seemingly forgotten because mm-hmm. who is this really for It's so strange. It's, it, it's strange that it exists, but, uh, I was really taken with it. Uh, oh. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, and stings, not bad. I don't think of him as an actor. Yeah. You know? I've seen
1: him in, it's like supporting roles here and there, Dune, but right? yeah. And lock stock and two smoking barrels. Oh, and right, I forgot that kind that. of thing. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, what's next for you? Next for me is Bradley Cooper's A Star is Born. Oh, yay. Which I feel like it's not cool, but I
0: loved it. I, is, 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 has the backlash yes. begun yet? Oh, yes. Okay, because I'm still living in a bubble where everyone uh, is obsessed with this movie. I, I watched the trailer again I, this morning and got like, all teary again.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it... it, it <sighs> It really resonated with me on so many levels, and it, as you know, as i 've said before i don 't usually i 'm suspicious when an actor directs sure. yeah uh, but this is a solid directing debut. Uh, he really captures the energy of like live performance, uh, but then also able to you know get performances out of people that you wouldn 't expect whether it be lady gaga or andrew dice clay who i knew about and then forgot and then when he was there like oh right okay that's this is jarring um but who could absolutely be her father uh they look similar um and but yeah these really nice touching performances and bradley cooper's performance is just marvelous i really love it i just i What's interesting is there's a, a constant theme in in Bradley Cooper's character is he's kind of guiding the Lady Gaga character uh, as the idea of like having something to say. And like you have something to say and you say it better than most. And so you need to be true to that. yeah And it's just like, OK, so Bradley Cooper chose this as his first film to direct. Playing this character saying these lines it's like okay so I think he has something to say yeah. here about um, that th- about like this is something we talk about a lot mm-hmm. the omen and the goldfish okay <laughs> right. the omen and the goldfish which is you know the name of my autobiography <laughs> it's my favorite episode <laughs> of Game of Thrones <laughs> um and it's it, Richard Donner. There's a scene in in The Omen, 1976, right? Uh, that sounds oh yeah, right that to me. Anyway,
0: um, he yes, where a because a, Superman was 78, so it was, yes. it was before that. Okay, yeah.
1: Uh, and so there's a, a, a goldfish bowl shatters, and you see like the fish just like there on the ground, uh, dying. And he says, like, in the commentary, no, we, we weren't going to use... Yeah, it's a plastic. It's a plastic goldfish. Like, I'm not going to kill a goldfish for a, for a film, which is something that I actually appreciate tremendously yeah. because as vital as it is, as vital as, as art is and communication is, like, the whole point of communication is to be able to connect with somebody else. And you have this film where these characters are learning or one character is learning how to express herself and the other is, is idolizing that. And in the midst of this, they have this very real romance and this very real connection. Uh, And they seem, there seems to be this, this push and pull of what's most important. And then a character makes a choice at the end that in which they ultimately say the expression is the most important thing. And, I think the film sees that as the wrong choice. Hmm. I think the film sees that sees it as like, there's a certain nobility and, and what would appear to be a certain selflessness there, but there's also a blindness Hmm. to what they, and I'm speaking in generalities, of course, because I don't want to spoil anything, but, uh, but yeah. And, and so I think the film really comes down on like, Hey, art is important. But also connecting with other people, whether it be romantically or otherwise, like that is why, why you do it in the first place. And if you lose sight of that, or if you put the communication above that, then, you know, you, you are heading down a a very tragic path. And so, so thematically, I loved it, but I really just... The music, the songs are beautiful, and I really responded to them, even though they're not really in the genre of music that I like, but they're very catchy and very emotional. What genre are they even in, though? Is that it's hard thing? to say. Cause it's I,
0: not I, like I, his songs I, especially. They're not country, they're not country but, they're, but they're, they're not
1: rock. They're a little bit country.
0: Yeah. They're a well, little they're, bit rock and roll. <laughs> but, yeah, it's. Um, but, you know, they were like, obviously, Lady Gaga was a songwriter, but also um, you've got. uh, uh William Nelson's son from promise of the real. Okay. And I think that's, I think if you're saying who does Bradley Cooper's who does Jackson main sound like, I would say probably promise of the real okay. is the closest you can come. No, yeah. Cause that's uh, exactly who wrote the music. Yeah. And,
1: and it's, it, I, I really responded to it and, and I'm very happy that I saw it and I, I'll be honest. I, I went in with my dukes up uh, just a huh. little bit uh, because I had started to, cause I saw it a little bit later than a lot of other people. Yeah. And the backlash has, has certainly started. And now that, now that critics stuff, critics awards are starting to come out. Uh, you know, I feel like between green book and a star is born and I haven't seen green book. And I know that you don't like much it. prefer yeah. a star is born, but these ver- these big, uh, movie star mainstream films, like everything they get is something that people will see is like, well, that could have gone to Roma or whatever. And that's, yeah. and
0: they should have to stand that, up and go on the table and make a case. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: Uh, and, and, but my point is that like in the, ca- I can't speak to green room, but in the case of a star
0: is born green book, what did I say? You said green room, oh which is not eligible this year because it came out in 2016. I'm not following you. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, sorry,
1: Green Book. Um, I can't speak to that, but A Star Is Born. I think the script is maybe a bit uh, flawed at times. I think maybe it makes a couple too, uh, maybe one or two too many jumps in time, and we have to sort of huh. fill in the fill okay. in the blanks blanks with their relationship. But that's all right. I'm okay with that, though. Yeah, yeah. I think I mostly am too. I think um, it's a very effective film, and I and whatever whatever awards recognition it gets. Yeah, I'm fine with.
0: I'm sure this is a movie that we'll be talking about more in the award season to come. And I look forward to that because I don't think I think I have a different interpretation hmm. of what Bradley Cooper is saying, which is that it's um, less about how did you describe it? Expression versus connection, connection. I think it's more about. um being an artist versus being a celebrity. Sure. Uh, I think, I think he has a lot to say about celebrity and I think a lot of, a lot of negative things to say about celebrity. Um, Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. Uh, but I also think, um, one of the great things a first time director can do, I think is hire Matthew Libetique as your cinematographer and trust him. Yeah. The movie is beautiful. It is. Uh, and then also, um, uh, there's a lot There's a lot of little funny moments in it, too, uh, that I didn't quite expect. And there's one that I think must be ad-libbed. Okay. But it's when he comments on her manager's not wearing socks with mm. his shoes. And, he, and then the, the actor who plays Rez, I can't remember the actor's name, yeah. he's like, well, actually, I do have these. And he pulls up his little like, not socks <laughs> yeah. and Uh That's a hilarious moment. Uh, I really like that movie a lot. Yeah. All right, let's move on to... At Eternity's Gate, okay. which is a movie that I went in, not with my dukes up, but I, I went like, uh, I had this, I was planning on seeing it at a certain time, and was excited about it. I like Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. I, I like, uh, I was going to say I like Julian Schnabel, but I guess I really just like Before Night Falls, because I haven't seen Basquiat, and I haven't seen The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Basquiat is is very good, um, and so is Before Night Falls. Uh, yeah, I like Before Night Falls a lot. Yeah. but So based on Before Night Falls, based on Willem Dafoe, uh, I was like... This is going to be good. And then in the few days before the few days before my screening, reviews started to come out and they were generally pretty negative, at least from the, from, from the, uh, publications that I read, including one battleship retention.com, um, which Scott and I didn't, didn't like it. Uh, and so I was pleasantly surprised that I liked it, even though I still think it's crazy that Willem Dafoe who is, yeah, his like early sixties is playing, uh, um, uh, uh, Vince Van Gogh who never saw the age of 40. Yeah. You know, um, that's strange, but, uh, I think, that there's, there's just Julian Schnabel. I think with this movie, I understand why people have, a uh, uh have some objections because I think if you were to boil this down in the way we usually do to like, well, what is this movie about in terms of what is the text? Mm-hmm. It is kind of superficial. It is kind of basic, you know, it's kind of, uh, he was, he was an artistic genius and he was mentally ill and, Are those things related? Right. Kind of a question, a pretty trite question that I think a lot of people have asked. And it's probably a question that is worth exploring. The more we come to understand as a, as a society about mental illness is worth exploring more. That's not what this movie is really doing. Um, It is more about the experiential uh, aspects and the subjective aspects of the movie. How often it puts you inside his, uh, Willem Dafoe's head in terms of, When he speaks, his voice always sounds very close. Mm -hmm. There are times when, because Oscar Isaac plays Gauguin, and there's a part where they have a conversation, that, uh, and this is a a tactic that comes up a few times, but I'm I'm pointing out one. They have a conversation that Vincent Van Gogh doesn't, uh, I can just call him Vincent, I think, Mm -hmm. um, doesn't react well to, and so you hear the entire conversation after you've already seen it, you see Van Gogh walking around and you hear the entire conversation again, two more times. Hmm. And then it keeps in his head. And then it keeps cutting to there's, there's these point of view shots uh, from Vincent uh, in which um, the bottom part of the frame is sort of out of focus. It looks like it might be cracked, but what it also looked like to me is maybe there are tears, tears welling up in, hmm. in his eyes, but it's not, it's not that literal, but that's yeah. kind of the impression. And so I feel like, the way that it is again, subjective, the way it gets you inside the head of someone who is dealing with, I don't know if he was bipolar, if these were panic attacks, it kind of felt like panic attacks to me, but he probably had, um, some other things. Um, cause he, at least the movie version of him sees things that aren't there sometimes. Um, and, uh, it, it 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 was really effective in that way for me. You've also you've got a bunch of other great actors, including you've got um, someone who is on my short list now for the BP for the best performance under fifteen minutes of screen oh, right. time. Uh, There's a part where he goes to a sanitarium. Um, it's a Catholic sanitarium. Uh, it's run by nuns, but at one point the priest, played by Mads Mikkelsen, comes, oh, all right. and has a conversation with him about his art, in which the priest is doesn't understand how art that looks to his eyes so ugly Hmm. because it, because Gogh was doing things differently than, than someone in Mads Mikkelsen's point of view uh, or or position would have been used to. Um, This is, I I feel like the, the on the basis of sex version of this scene is that the scales fall from Mads Mikkelsen's eyes Uh, and he understands the beauty. That is not what's going on, (laughs) what's going on in this scene. It's a person telling Van Gogh, and in a way, telling you because the movie is so subjective, uh, you're insane and this is awful. And Van Gogh, not like sort of reacting in a way that is not uh, how maybe I would react if someone told me the thing that I made was awful and worthless, and um, I needed to be treated for it. Uh, it, And the the whole movie is just—it's very beautiful. The sound design is is amazing. Um, I do think as much as I complained about Willem Dafoe uh, being the wrong age he's still a great actor yeah and they do good things with um his uh hair and beard i feel like i'm so used to willem Dafoe looking his age that it is it's it's strange how you put give somebody like strawberry blonde hair and a beard and suddenly uh they look maybe not 25 years younger maybe 10 years younger (laughs) at least uh and there's something to be said
1: for like even though van gogh was young like his life. Maybe, uh, maybe it aged him. You know, you can look at it that way uh, a little bit. Sure. So,
0: yeah. All right. Um, there was one other actress I was going to call out, but I forgot her name. Anyway, we'll talk okay. about it later. All right. So, uh, we're, we're
1: getting into, um, some rewatch territory for me. Okay. Uh, so I was in Chicago for Thanksgiving, and I was hanging out with, my, with our friends, uh, Scott and Tracy. And they have a tradition around Thanksgiving, which is uh, the day after Thanksgiving, they uh, like put up the tree, they bake cookies, and they watch Harry Potter movies. Hmm. And so I watched, for the first time, like for real, <laughs> in a right. long time— Uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and uh, get ready because the the next movie I'm going to talk about is Chamber of Secrets Uh, (laughs) but but that's just going to have to wait Um, and the reason that I say it's the first time I've seen it for real uh, in a long time is because You know, we watched it a year ago and did commentary over it. So you're not really hearing it. Uh, And then I've watched it with the Wizard People, Dear Readers thing Uh a couple of times. And it's been a long time since I actually just watched the movie. And I was very glad that I did because while it's very easy for us to look at the more adult uh, later films, uh, which are probably going to appeal to us more because they're more adult and because... David Yates, Alfonso Cuaron and Mike Newell, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Newell, um, are simply better filmmakers than Chris Columbus. But that first film, I forget who made this point. Somebody did. And I think they're right that like, yeah, Alfonso Cuaron like changed the way the world looked a little bit, but so much of the, of the tone was set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, set very right. I mean, the first two movies are definitely for kids, uh, for a younger audience. And it feels whimsical. You know, the whimsy starts to go away after a while, understandably so, but it's definitely there. And there's a couple moments where it's like they overdo it and it's really cheesy, but the, the, the sense of wonder and awe is there as it should be. Um, and what I like is that it's not just wonder and awe at the special effects. It's also an understanding, of the the importance of you know good art direction great costume design so that you are just transported into this right so that i'm probably overstating here but it's like you yourself are a new student Mm -hmm. at hogwarts you're right there you're not harry but you're right there with him and all of this is new to you and it feels new um and it's just I I really, I like it a lot and I'll talk more about Chamber of Secrets in a moment. But, um, but yeah, and it's, it's also just so expertly cast when you think of how iconic many of those actors are in the, in those characters. Uh, I mean, Chris Columbus did that, uh, along with casting director and that kind of thing, but, uh, he could have gone a different way and, and I'm glad that he didn't in a lot of, Mm -hmm. in a lot of situations. So I was very happy that I watched it and it's just, it's a good time of year to watch it sure okay all right for you
0: um next for me is jacques odiard's the sisters brothers okay um which i was very much looking forward to even though i'm not sure why (laughs) i don't think i'm a huge (laughs) jacques odiard fan i thought rust and bone was kind of ridiculous um but i like the sisters brothers i wish i liked it more Mm. um mainly i like it as a showcase for four Great actors. This is called the Sisters Brothers, but there really are four lead roles. Mm-hmm. You've got um John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix as the Sisters Brothers. Mm-hmm. And then you've got um Riz Ahmed as the person they they've been sent to go track down and kill. Um or not they but they've been sent to kill. The person who's been sent to track him and hold him, but not kill him, is played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. So you've got these four actors together, and I think you do get some really interesting ideas both as the four individuals and also when they pair off in different ways of explorations of different definitions of man, of masculinity um, and and manhood. Um, But ultimately I do. uh, Yeah, yeah. no, I shouldn't say ultimately I'd like the movie three and a half out of five stars probably Mm. is what I'd give it. But uh, I was let down a little bit. I think in the fact that the movie, I feel like wants to be an action movie, but Jacques Odiard is maybe not, skilled as an action director there are a number of shootouts that a part of me was like oh this is exciting right or maybe it should be like it's just kind of chaotic and I feel like I feel like part of the part of the point part of the character is we're supposed to see that like like Viggo Mortensen in a history of violence the sisters brothers are very good at killing people Mm -hmm. even when they're outnumbered their backs against the wall they are very good at killing people and one of them um is very okay with that being his skill set and one of them is not yeah and that's part of the uh part of the thing but I do wish that the action scenes had a bit more of that that power and we could see as opposed to just like things you know go dark and there's a bunch of gun flashes going off and then eight uh, guys yeah. are dead you know what I mean like that like every shootout kind of feels uh feels the same uh like that but um it is surprisingly well I wouldn't say surprisingly it is it is funnier than i than the description I just gave mm-hmm. uh would would lead you to think because you've got Jake Jillenhall playing one of my favorite western movie archetypes is like the dandy, yeah you know. Um, and if you exactly, write exactly. if you write it just right, yeah. it's like one of the f- most fun things to
1: listen to. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is not exactly Robert Pattinson and damsel, <laughs> but, <laughs> well, um, is. yeah, but it is, it is kind of something. He's clearly like the educated, well-dressed, um, there's a joke about brushing your teeth in the movie where, um, this is like in the time the movie set, this is kind of a new thing. And they go into the general, a general store and the general and the, and the guy at the general store talks John C. Riley into buying a toothbrush and a little like powder, like pre mm. toothpaste, a little powder. And so there's a number of scenes of him, like sort of, and John C. Riley is such a great actor. Yeah. Can you imagine as an actor trying to brush your teeth? Like you've never brushed your teeth before. Yeah. <laughs> and he has, so he has a lot of fun with that. And there's one part where they're all like at a camp, they're all camping together. And so you see John C. Riley sort of like, uh, gingerly like putting the toothbrush in the in the thing and like pushing pushing it around his teeth very awkwardly and like Jake Gyllenhaal walks out of his tent just full-on brushing his teeth (laughs) like he's been doing it for 10 years and they share like kind of a look uh that's funny yeah there's a lot there's a lot of great moments there's a moment where they're killing a bunch of guys who are wearing uh like coonskin caps and like Waukee Phoenix, like, chases one of them in the woods and clearly kills him in the woods and then comes out just wearing the Coonskin cap. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, all right. I'm talking myself into liking it more. Okay. Uh, it's it's funny. I wish it were a better action movie. Okay. All right. Next up is um,
1: Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Right. Um, which is... Uh, I do think that maybe one of the big issues, maybe with the series in general, but certainly with those first two, um, because I don't know. I think the writer Steve Clovis, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. I think he was kind of finding. I think he was finding the tone uh, and trying to figure out, okay, how are we? How are we going to <laughs> deliver all this pl- plot exposition? And so there are yeah. moments where it like really grinds to a halt and all that kind of thing. So that's and there's a lot of. There's a lot of story in Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. Uh, but for and the most the, part... You, you know there are book readers who were mad about stuff that was left out. Of course, out. of course. That's insane. <laughs> um, and so... But what I will say is that, again, tonally, they do a very good job of continuing the tone of the first film, but it is darker now. Like, yeah. there's, there's not nearly as much awe because now the characters are a bit more used to it. And what they're learning now is that there is a definite darker side to the world of magic. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's just, and it's a much more dangerous place, whether it be, oh, fucking Aragog and all those damn spiders <laughs> or, or the, uh, Aragog's a sweetheart. No. <laughs> he said, hey, you're a friend of Hagrid, the guy who, who raised me and didn't kill me. That's nice. I'm going to feed you to my sons and daughters. But not, I gave you a lot of information first, so don't let that throw you. I'm still going to kill you. Um, He's providing for his family. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I really do. But yeah, um, and that, that's a that, that oh, minch. That, that guy's a <laughs> Oh, I wish somebody had said that. Um, uh, Robbie Coltrane later on in the the series. Um, And that sequence is like really, there's a nice, I actually think that Chris Columbus like started to grow as a filmmaker with these movies because they're certainly more ambitious than a lot of the movies he'd made before. And like with that sequence, like the, the, there's a nice build to it. uh, As you see, like the larger, not as big as Aragog, but like the larger spires, like coming down from the, you know, from the trees and all that, uh, that, and then the basilisk, uh, is really terrifying. Yeah. And the, the, I, the design of the chamber of secrets is so, yeah, great. i was just
0: reading, I don't know if you read that, uh, you don't subscribe to entertainment weekly anymore, but they did for the new fantastic, whatever movie they did a whole like double issue, like mm-hmm. look back at the, at the Harry Potter thing. And Chris Columbus was talking about how, um, how effects changed over the course of, and then so in the first one, like in the first movie, when they walk into, the hall, the, fr- the hall and mm-hmm. all those candles that suspended from the ceiling. Yeah. Each one of those is a real candle that was suspended from the ceiling. They oh, did wow. wire removal on. They didn't just like make up fake candles. And the Chamber of Secrets is a 100% practical set. There's no, there's no CG yeah. in, I mean, the, I mean, the basilisk is part CG, but as far as the, the yeah. set, it's one, they built that entire thing. And that's, I know people give Chris Columbus a hard time as a director. I understand why Um, he's responsible for some, uh, some bad stuff, but I like Chamber of Secrets. And I like the, I love the touch angles, especially in the in the in the actual chamber. There's a lot of uh, uh, cool camera angles.
1: And I do think, and I realize that in this, I'm talking more about J.K. Rowling than anybody else. But uh, the character of Gilderoy Lockhart uh, is interesting because in this, you know, we in the first film, the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher is taught by a a follower of Voldemort, uh, and then in this. We like they they do this little fake out where you think that there's more to Gilderoy than than Uh he's showing us. And what it is, it's not that he's evil. It's that he's just selfish and just and self-centered and self-promoting and isn't actually capable. And when it comes right down to it, not like it's not quite the same. It's not as bad as actively wanting to do damage to the students but it's not far off either. Like it, it's very, it's vital that you actually teach these kids what, what, you know, what uh, they need. Yeah. And, and I do think Kenneth Brown does just such a wonderful, wonderful job. Just, just this nice lilting quality, but finding little laugh lines where they're, wouldn't necessarily be one like the, the name of his book is magical me, which is kind of <laughs> adorable anyway, but the way he says it goes when I, you know, when I wrote my book, magical me and just like really just hitting the M's um, uh, it's, it's, it's really delightful.
0: Uh, what you were saying about the fake out with, um, good reminded me of a, um, uh, a Seinfeld line when okay. someone's saying about Newman, He's a, he's a mystery. There's more to him than meets the eye. No, there's less. There's less, less. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, yes, and then there's like the whole Dobby thing, which is, he is kind of an annoying
0: character. I like Dobby, but I think that's the book reader in me coming sure. out, because Dobby is a much more sympathetic character in yeah. the books. Yeah, but And he's uh, in more than just... He's in only in two movies, or, uh, or I guess his—he's he's in three. Uh, technically, te- three, te- technically, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's in the books yeah. a lot more. Anyway, but yeah. So you can hear us talk about this on the uh, you sure can. On the on the commentaries, we did the commentary yeah. marathon uh, available in the on, on the premium tab uh, at at Yeah, I've I've watched
1: the Harry Potter movies. A lot. I do. I enjoy the world and I enjoy going into it, but it is not at all uncommon for me to just jump right to three. And in, and in watching these again, I feel like the next time i jen and i feel like rewatching. i I think i'll say like no let's start with one and two like there's a nice progression and it's a night it's a wonderful introduction into the world absolutely and so i was very happy that i watched them
0: all right next up for me is one that i know you've seen it's mariel hellers can you ever forgive me yes tyler i adore this movie you adore it i really do i really really liked it um i think uh um it's not as good as Marilee Hiller's last movie, The Diary of a Teenage Girl, which made my top 10 that year. Uh, but it does have a good title, which Diary of a Teenage Girl does not. Right? Can You Ever Forgive Me is actually a great title, um, <clears throat> I think. And I think I mentioned this before, but I, I don't remember.
1: Um, in our fantasy Oscar draft, uh, Julie Cessnavich, for she for original and adapted screenplay, she has sorry to bother you. Can you ever forgive me? Yeah. Which I think is absolutely delightful.
0: Uh, well, you know what? Speaking of our Oscar draft, uh, I, I envy our friend Ian because I walked out of that movie going like I I saw with, with Natalie, who's also a part of our, uh, uh, league. And I was like, who has Richard E. Grant? Yeah. Because he's great. He's, he's and, marvelous. And it's the kind of great that I think is going to get awards attention between,
1: between the performance itself mm-hmm. and his having been around for a long yeah. time. Yeah. It's very much like going into the draft. Everybody said like, it's, it's probably going to be Mahershala Ali again. Who I, who's that's who I have. Uh-huh. Um, I think it could be Richard E. Grant, yeah, and, and that would be great because yeah, it's a it, marvelous performance.
0: Uh, it really, is. and I feel like sometimes I, I make on well, this podcast I make the mistake of singling out supporting performances because um, it's sometimes more interesting to talk about. Sure. But Melissa McCarthy is also amazing in this movie. Yeah, um, you've also got Dolly Wells, uh, an actress I really like. I loved her and, in yeah. the movie, and uh, Stephen Spinella, yeah, um, from from Ravenous, he's. He's been around a long time in a lot of movies, but I always think of him as, how'd that door come open (laughs) in in Ravenous? (laughs) And he's (laughs) in Rubber. Did you ever see Uh, Rubber? Oh, no, I never saw Rubber. It's batshit crazy. Dupuy, is that the the director's name? I don't recall. Because I saw Wrong, and I didn't like it very much.
1: Oh, that's right. Uh, Um, But, um, yeah, Steven Spinella, to the degree that, that... rubber has a lead at all i mm-hmm. guess it's him and it starts with him coming out and saying a monologue directly to the camera that sounds very wise but if you think about it it's absolute nonsense yeah. um and he delivers it so well he's and and i think he's i think the whole cast is great and can you ever forgive me
0: um and this is also a movie again to, to keep comparing every good movie to the way that it's not on the basis of sex. <laughs> um, it's an odd theme. I'll see if I can do it too. Um, can you ever forgive me? Is a movie that absolutely loves its characters and yet also doesn't make excuses for them. Doesn't ask. Doesn't ask you to forgive them, yeah. uh, uh, as it were. Um, I mean, the. Uh, I don't want to give away plot points, I guess, but the scene between, um, Melissa McCarthy and Richard e. Grant near the end of the movie when you kind of realize how little she's changed is kind of beautiful. And I kind of love that they did that. It didn't have the big, she doesn't have her catharsis and become a new person. (laughs) Like she's changed a little bit.
1: Yeah. She, she has with that monologue there at the end, she has a moment of realization that is, I think genuine, but as is the case with actual people, we have these moments, they have power they stay with us a little bit, but never to the degree that they yeah. do in movies. But
0: she did. There are things about her that do change positive things about her wanting to be more in her own voice as a writer, which is I think, yeah. kind of the, the metaphor of what's going on, that she's a writer who hides behind yeah. um, uh, other voices or whatever. So like there is even, a positive when she's not doing the letter thing, like uh, the fact yeah, that she yeah. came up doing biographies yeah. like speaks volumes. Yeah. Jane Curtin, who we didn't mention Jane Curtin yeah. um, says that you disappear into your work or whatever. Um, but um, the fact that she like has made some advancement in a way that is good for her, but not in the way she's not advanced. In the way that she hasn't suddenly become a nice person. She's still a, not a, not a nice person. Right. That hasn't changed. I find that delightful. Um, I don't want to give too much uh, more away. But um, and I want to get your thoughts uh, as well. So, yeah, I did not adore the
1: movie okay i really liked the movie and then i adored things within it um her performance obviously is is great um i'm a, i've i've been a big fan of melissa mccarthy for a long time mm-hmm. i think that she's a treasure like she's often in movies that don't do well which is a bummer because she's always giving it 110 percent. and she's so great at like absurd characters like one of the fa- one of the best things you can do is just go down a youtube hole of her on snl yeah. because it's it's marvelous um i watched the other day i watched uh, a sketch of her she's a part of like this women's group uh you know and they're all talking about their goals for this new year and all that and she she's new to the group uh and her goal is to kill the men that murdered her father and and so as everybody is showing their vision boards you know which is like a collage of things and this one woman's like well I've got this and I've got and I've got some yogurt as well I like I, I want to eat better so I've got some yogurt and then Melissa McCarthy puts up hers and it's like an image of like her holding the head like it's, it's the only known photo of a guy that killed her, her father and she's like yeah so I just really want to do that and coincidentally I've got yogurt on my too and <laughs> it's just marvelous and so i was worried that when she's playing lee israel who is kind of a kind of an exaggerated almost a harvey picar type of person
0: yeah I although thought, apparently some would uh, some are saying watered down from the real, real life lee israel I, <laughs> who was like a uh or is she still alive right no she died oh she died okay uh who was like a uh serious hoarder like they get into that a little bit uh, they with her apartment but apparently it was a, a real and problem that's a really nice that's a really
1: nice reveal is because you see like the the fly problem yeah. and then you realize
0: why um in a yeah. way that's that's very sad uh and gross yeah um yeah that's oh, so many great lines like because she can make a line that isn't necessarily Oh, a joke. Yeah. Funnily, it smells really bad in here. Yeah. I heard both of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um, and so, yeah, she plays it down, but doesn't play it down too much. like, she just, she finds the right balance. Uh, absolutely. And I do love Richard E Grant. I mean, a lot of people have commented that he's sort of like an older version of with nail,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which I would agree with. Um, but he finds, man, that's a sad character. Like he's funny, yeah, and and he's not fake when he's being kind of this over-the-top guy but like just in those moments like when no one is looking at his face except us mm-hmm. you see him deeply aware of his life and yeah. himself and it's it's really uh, there are a lot of things about the film that i really love um And I think it's something that I would like to, I think the more I think about it thematically, I think the more I will like it. But as of right now, I think it's a very, very good film with a lot of things that I love. Okay, so next for me, to keep the uh, Chris Columbus Fest going.
0: Really? uh, Well, let me guess. Centennial Man. That's the one. Uh, Is it really? No. I Love You, Beth Cooper. No. Starring our friend. Paul that Russ. Uh, no, uh,
1: it was Home Alone. Uh, once oh. again, the uh, Scott and Tracy that we were staying with, uh, uh, it's part of their tradition is watching Home Alone. I hadn't seen it in a while. and um, It's interesting. The last time I saw it, I really didn't care for it that much. Uh, watching it this time, I actually do, I don't like it that much, but there is there is some genuine genuinely funny stuff going on, specifically Howard, uh, not, uh, not Howard Stern, Ugh. Uh, Daniel Stern. Candy. There we go. Yeah. Daniel Stern. Well, John Candy too, absolutely. But Daniel Stern is just like, he just gets how to play that character and he just goes for it. And he doesn't necessarily overplay it, but he does what is required. So like when his character, <laughs> he just... <laughs> There, there's the the scene where like he finally has uh, Macaulay Culkin's character like he's he's got him and so then uh, Culkin grabs uh, the tarantula and just puts it right on Daniel oh, Stern's yeah, face funny. and he just lets out this yeah. horrifying scream yeah that's pretty good uh, but then that's immediately followed up with he drops it on to Joe Pesci who is has uh, like is lying on the ground. And he's about to hit him with a crowbar and Joe Pesci doesn't see what's happening. He's like, Marv, what are you doing? And and it's just, they, they have really great chemistry and, 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 and and that's the thing is like the, the, the fact of, and, and maybe it's, maybe you can't even really divorce these things, but like the fact of like them being punished terribly through all the, with all these things, that's, not itself funny as I watch it as a, as an adult. What's funny is the noises that they make, uh-huh. you know. And of course, I realize that well, that's the nature of any of those kind of gags is the actor has to sell it, right? But they're selling it also within character, and and it's it's very it's very funny. And huh. those two especially do really great work. And then also uh, Robert, uh, I believe his name is Roberts Blossom uh, the old man. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, I'm not really that familiar with his work. Yeah. I know he was in, uh, maximum overdrive, uh, or no, it was Christine. He was in Christine. Pardon me. It was the other one. Um, and so I saw him in that and I saw him in this and he, he just has such a matter of fact way of speaking that just like makes everything he says sound true and important. And so as he's talking about like, got in a fight with his son many years ago and it just like it lends tremendous depth to a movie that doesn't have it um and so there's it's you know it's it's a something of a trifle the movie but uh but everybody's really like putting their all into it and it's actually a pretty good uh score as well by john williams having watched these harry potter movies i realized mm-hmm. like you could take you can't like switch them out exactly but you could switch out like the home alone theme and the harry potter theme and it wouldn't be that different huh. I hadn't they're, about like that. they're both this, this playful childlike <laughs> kind of thing so anyway so we can move on
0: is there well uh, my thing about home alone i don't know if it's because i've gotten become more of a you know proletary socialist type but sure it is increasingly glaring to me just how insanely wealthy oh, the yes. McAllisters are. Oh, yes. And it's weird that it's not, like, commented on. Like, I feel like if you're well, going to have a movie about characters who are that rich, it should be part of the story somehow. It is,
1: it's commented on by the fact that the thieves have targeted this right. street. Yeah. You know, like, why else would... They, and it's like, that's a good these point. are people that are rich and are rich enough to travel. And so they're, they're going out. Yeah. So that's why that they've... why. They're targeting not even just that house, but the whole street. Like yeah. this is, this is, uh, you know, the, the brass ring yeah. as they say.
0: Yeah. Good point. All right. Uh, next up for me is a movie that's coming out on Netflix. Um, next Friday. Uh, it's directed by Anne Fletcher. It's called Dumplin'. Okay. Uh, it's apparently based on a, a, a novel. Um, but it's about a, uh, I guess plus-sized uh, high school girl whose mother um, is a former beauty queen and still runs the beauty pageant in town. Hmm. And so she decides as a way of sort of rebelling against her mother and her idea of of beauty to actually enter the beauty pageant with the plan of kind of fucking it up. But maybe she learns a couple lessons along the way. <laughs> but I, I'm making fun of it, but I <laughs> adored this movie. Yeah. It's so sweet. Um, the girl is played by Danielle McDonald, who was um, uh, Patty Cakes. Do you remember the movie Patty I Cakes didn't. from a year or two ago. Uh, the mother is played by Jennifer Aniston. Hmm. Um, the let's see who else. Um, the best friend is played by now I forget her name, but she was in Lady Bird. The rich best friend that she lied to. She pretended to. She pretended to live somewhere else oh, to yes, be yes. close to the cool girl. Yeah, her. Um, she's really good. And then you've got. As a local small town drag queen who teaches her new concepts of beauty, Harold Perrineau. And he is great. When he first showed up, I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, yeah, yeah. When he first showed up, like after his first scene or so, I was like, Oh, this guy, this is for the, the 15 minutes or under, but then he ends up being in the movie enough that I think Hmm. he's, it's more than 15 minutes. Um, uh, but that's a, an award we do for the listeners. Uh, uh, best performance, 15 minutes or under anyway. Um, uh, and I, so I think even though it is, Oh, the other thing that I'm mentioning about the movie is that, um, the main character is a super huge Dolly Parton fan. And the movie is like wall to wall Dolly Parton music. Yeah. You can't go wrong. Uh, there, and it's full of quotes from Dolly Parton. Now what's interesting
1: to, uh, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is oh, that like fine. everything you've described so far sounds so precious, but not, ne- and not like the movie. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for, uh, and not in necessarily a good
0: way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. This could, this could be treacly and there yeah. is, there is definitely, it's very sweet. So it is kind of treacly, but I think the movie is never disingenuous. Yeah. Um, it's it's even though you can you can see where it's going, it still is a character first okay. uh, movie, and you've got just how does it treat characters.
1: the mother? I guess is my question. Like, is she like over the top, uh, superficial, or what?
0: Uh, I would say watch the movie because uh, she maybe learned some lessons too. Okay, so <laughs> okay. maybe she yeah Jennifer Anderson has a bit of an arc herself. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's really it's 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 really good. It's directed by Anne Fletcher who. Um, is de- definitely pro- probably best known for the the proposal, the Sandra Bullock, um, okay, yeah. Ryan Reynolds movie, um, which made a gajillion dollars. Um, her last movie was called Hot Pursuit. I didn't care for it. It was the Reese Witherspoon, oh, yeah. Sofia Vergara. I didn't I didn't care for that. But the movie she made before that was, I think, a really underrated movie called The Guilt Trip with Seth oh, Rogen yeah. and Barbara Streisand, which I which I quite liked. Um, and so uh, and Fletcher back on top after what I would consider a stumble with hot pursuit back uh, on top. <laughs> yeah. So that's dumpling. Check it out on in the, we're in the middle of award season. I'm sure you're watching a bunch of heavy shit. Yeah. Right. Check out Dumplin. All right. It's dumpling with an apostrophe. Yeah. Okay. Got it.
1: Uh, next for me is, uh, can you ever forgive me so we can move on?
0: Okay. So next for me is another Netflix movie. Although this one doesn't come out until January. I was almost scared to watch this movie. It's a Belgian movie called girl. Okay. Direct, directed by Lucas oh, Daunt. Have uh, you heard of this? I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was almost scared to watch it because of the controversy. Mm-hmm. Because it is um, a the story of a, uh, a teenage trans girl. In yes, which that and yeah, that's why I've heard of it. Yeah. And the the actor is a cisgender boy, and I feel every time this happens, I can sort of sense the trans community, or not sense. I can just go you know go online and read the trans community getting more and more fed up. Uh, with the fact that so many trans actors go uncast. And also, I think the the, the, the argument um, that uh, having cis actors play trans characters adds to the sort of under-educated public perception that being trans is, something, is a costume that they're putting on. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? When you see... Uh, I've made this example before because I've read it online but like you see Jared Leto in as Rayon in Dallas Buyers Club and then you see him accepting his award in a full beard it, right. you know it's uh it it, it 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 emphasizes the 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 sort of gulf between um the the cis and trans community I guess um and I've said this, but I can't remember what movie we were talking about before. Maybe it was even this movie back when it played at can and got a lot of controversy. Um, uh, I think one thing I've learned, uh, this is something I've actually learned from you, Tyler. Oh, you, geez. um, uh, you once said that you have a policy of not attempting to be offended on someone else's behalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely have tried to, uh, to learn that, to realize like it's, it some, that, that sometimes is as condescending as the offensive person, the person being offensive. Right. That's, that's Um, the issue. Like, it's not like I'm saying,
1: don't be aware of what could bother
0: someone. And that's why I'm saying, yeah, the, uh, that's the other half of that is if there's a thing that I don't understand necessarily, uh, because I'm not, you know, uh, because I'm, I'm most of the dominant identities that Mm. there are, um, Fuck yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to, to be willing to understand when, if trans people say this is hurtful and wrong, I don't think they have any reason to lie. So, uh, yeah. So believe them, you know? Um, I, I, I think that's, um, the, one of the manifestations of privilege is that those of us who enjoy it don't realize we enjoy it and often don't realize that our experiences. Um, are different or especially don't realize that our experiences might in some arenas be lacking. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we don't know what it's like to be trans. So, uh, I was definitely nervous to go into the movie cause I was like, a part of me was like, I know this is just from the word go. There are things about this movie that, uh, are very upsetting to a lot of people. And a part of me was like, uh, I mean, because what if I end up thinking the movie's good, and how do I, like, balance that? Uh, not a problem, it turns out. Okay. <laughs> the movie is not good. I don't understand why it was so well-reviewed, well-reviewed uh, out of can. I don't understand. Well, I do understand why it's... You know, I, uh, I feel like I say this every year. I love seeing movies. I love world cinema. I love seeing movies from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Except it seems that the movies that every country nominates f- to represent them for the Oscars uh, yeah. are often the worst movies. Yeah. They're the, they're like the closest, you know, you get world cinema means getting new perspectives and yet they're the movies that feel the most like middle brow pandering. Yeah, they realize pap. Who their voters are and <laughs> yeah.
1: they want to, you know, it's the same. It's, you're going to get a lot of the same principles. I remember many years ago we got into an argument, uh, about the Indie spirit awards, uh, many, many years ago. Uh, yeah. the long Pre-podcast, time. long podcast. Um, and at the time, like you were really upset about Mulholland Drive. I think it had been up for like, it was up for like cinematography, but like nothing else. Uh-huh. Um, which the argument went, we were having two different arguments, uh, as it turns out, uh, because I thought, like, I was arguing that the Indie Spirit Awards, they're just like every other award show. Yeah. That, because Memento was heavily represented. And it's like, yeah, of course it was. It made a lot of money. Yeah. And that's, I hate to put it this way, but Indie Spirit Awards, like, hey, they got to they gotta get viewers and they got to get them clicks back before that was a concept. <laughs> um, and so, and that's the thing is the the Oscars, whether it be, you know, if it, if you made a documentary that made money, oh, you're winning that Oscar. That's for sure. Uh, for the most part, I'd say. Um, and then uh and yeah. same with a foreign film if it if it got any kind of mainstream
0: yeah. uh acclaim and especially since this, this one uh because this will be the perfect example of whatever privilege is people thinking like because it's the story of a trans girl that it's woke to like this movie Ignoring the fact that the trans community is telling you, don't see this, don't support this. The one question I have, so the, the little kid is a dancer, correct? It's not, oh, I mean, um, how, how old, uh, like, uh, I think the character is supposed to be 16. Oh, um, all right. I, um, I wasn't I was sure in that, in that, uh, situation whether to say he or she, cause I wasn't sure if you were asking about the actor or the character. Um, oh, I, but the character uh, is yeah, 16. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And a dancer.
1: Yes. Okay. And I do wonder if it were a different situation and they didn't need somebody that could have a specific skill. Right. I wonder if that would open it up a bit. That is the director's argument. Is it? Okay. The director
0: director's argument is that, um, we auditioned trans girls, but, uh, we couldn't find anyone who danced. So we ended up going to the people we had already auditioned to play the ballerinas at the ballerina school. Mm. Um, Ballet school. <laughs> it's not called ballerina school. <laughs> um, so they had already cast dancers. And so he went to that pool and found okay. an actor from there. But I don't know. They, you've also got the movie clearly had enough money to do um, some uh, digital fudging. Because you've got um, full frontal nudity. That is, I've looked it up, is an adult body. Oh, okay. Um, uh, um, with the kid's face so i don't know you couldn't use a i mean that's not really jennifer beale's breakdancing and flash dance right you couldn't cast a trans girl and then have the dancer be the the double you know what i'm saying maybe um no.
1: you also don't want it to be like uh i tanya
0: Oh, it's a very obvious link. <laughs> it's like those, um, uh, those jib-jab videos. <laughs> 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 that's what I thought it looks like. Yeah. It's perfect. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I, but I mostly, I didn't like the movie cause I think it is, uh, another movie about whenever there's so many tragic quote unquote tragic, Queer person movies, like every oh, yeah. movie, is about how awful it is. And also, I feel like I feel like it seems like this movie is made by cis people because its idea of trans is like I said, there's full-frontal nudity. The movie is obsessed with genitalia. It's it's weird how much of the movie is I mean, about. Who it. isn't? <laughs> uh, I guess I guess most people are. But um, one way or another, it's obsessed with like differences and which I also find disingenuous because it's not even just genitalia, but it'll, it'll focus on like when, when she, um, is, she goes to like a pool party with the other ballerinas. And so there are like these shots of these girls in their swimsuits and you're seeing like curves and stuff. And it's like, it's not like there Does are cis cre- girls. Do with, you feel creepy. yeah, uh, Okay. I know, but I'm saying there are cis girls with flat asses, right? <laughs> like you, it seems like a yeah. it, it seems like a really uh, simplistic and reductive and cis way of looking at um, how a trans person might feel about herself.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it's hard to know uh, how much to play that up, but yeah, the idea of like the tragic thing, like. I feel like with movies not and I didn't see it but movies like Love Simon where it still is about a certain experience and a, and being mm-hmm. and being on the outside and all that kind of thing but it's it's a comedy and it's and it's by all accounts a fairly conventional one and a lot of uh, reviews that I read said that it was fairly straightforward yeah. to such an extent that maybe it wasn't it didn't go far enough but then other reviews said no 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 that's what's that's what you need right you need a conventional vaguely forgettable
0: uh comedy right. because it further it, it normalizes yeah. I, I in mean, a good way i mean look at can you forgive me like that's a movie that we don't even really think of as being like a queer like yeah. an lgbt movie if it had come out the same movie come out 15 years ago we would be focused on the fact that she's a lesbian yeah
1: like um, and one character eventually it is it's it's shown that he has has aids oh yeah that's what, uh, and yeah. so and you see a couple you see like a signifier of that which is like the bandana yeah. uh bandana is that what it is sure yeah all right i picture bandanas on like construction workers and pirates uh oh, see, but that it's was, bandits bandits okay. like pulling the
0: bandana up over sure. their
1: face. So the, yeah. the, but this one was like very colorful and yeah. stuff. Scarf. It seemed like a big, like a scarf yeah. more than anything. But anyway, um, but yeah, but yeah, it's, I, I know what you mean. Like they, it, that would have been a huge subplot yeah. if it were 2001 or t- 2002.
0: Yeah. Uh, I just, not to change the subject too much, but I was just reading, um, on, there's a column, a weekly or monthly column with the, at filmcomment.com about queer cinema. And the guy this week, uh, wrote an argument that Home for the Holidays belongs in the queer cinema canon. Um, I don't know if I'd say canon, but I mean, it's <laughs> it's definitely really interesting on that front. Like it's And also, especially since Jodie Foster, the director, wasn't really out at right. the time that she made the movie and now is, I guess, right. out as much as she cares to be now. Yeah. There was that speech at the award show a few years ago, where which she was, was just like, weird more than anything else. She definitely seemed like she didn't have anything prepared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it was an interesting look at at that um, at the movie from that uh, point of view. And I know you're a big fan of Home for the Holidays. I love Home for the Holidays.
1: Uh, all right, what's next for you? Next is the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, okay, which I adored. Um, it's, I mean, of course, it's this anthology thing, and each story is tonally different from the other, and between all of them, you get. All of these different types of Westerns, um, which it it almost seems like it seemed like it was an inevitability after Hail Caesar, which was itself this love letter to old Hollywood. And now they got really specific with Westerns and all the different types of Westerns that you could have. You know, it's the the. The titular Buster Scruggs story is the first one. It's fairly short. Some of them are actually pretty long, and you know he's singing, but it's also incredibly violent, and he is probably a full-on psychopath. Um, but it's it's very heightened and and funny and and all that. But some of them are extremely sad. Some of, and they they vary as far as realism. Some of them are pretty pretty straightforward, and others are. Uh, seem to borrow images from like Night of the Hunter um, mm. and it's uh, Bruno Debenel is the cinematographer oh. and it's beautiful of course um, and what I like is that and what I was, was surprised by is that when you've got these very different tones from one story to the next I was like "This is this going to be an issue where by the end, I feel like I have watched six different things as opposed to one unified thing. And I know that they wanted to have it be sort of a series, but when they decided to put this together, are they going to make it work and make it seem like one coherent whole? Uh, and I think they do. And I think they do it primarily through uh, thematic repetition. Um, but not in a super obvious way. Like they just, they return to certain things like the idea of, uh, you can't play another man's hand, stuff like that in poker terms. Um, and this idea of choosing oneself over somebody else and what that looks like. and, and the different degrees to which you do that. And, and the idea that the, the West, which is this image of freedom and this image of, uh, trying to get away from civilization. It's like, well, it's also just steering right into law, complete lawlessness. And if it's mm-hmm. lawlessness, then you're just, you just function at your own level of accountability. Like, and so, uh, so there's, there's a story called, uh, the meal ticket that is just, uh, I love it. It might be my favorite of the bunch. And it's the one that I think might be the most personal for okay. them.
0: Oh, uh, and it That's features not a word. I usually apply to
1: Coen brothers films. I think, I, I think that as they've gotten older, I think they're making more personal films. I think inside Lewin Davis is tremendously personal. Um, but, uh, the meal ticket features Liam Neeson in a largely wordless performance mm. and Harry Melling who played Dudley Dursley, uh, in the Harry Potter films, oh, and he is marvelous. I can't oh, cool. speak well enough awesome. about him. And there are uh, six episodes. There are six of them, and then there's one that features Tom Waits almost completely by himself uh, cool. as a prospector, and it's having a big
0: year. Uh, yeah, Tom yeah. Was.
1: And, uh, yeah, I just, I can't recommend it highly enough. I, I'm, I saw it in a theater and I was very happy that I did. Uh, I think it might be too late for a lot of people. I think it might be gone by now, but, uh, it's definitely worth, uh, worth seeing. And something that I realized is that, you know, I, I mean, obviously I love movies, but if I were to watch it at home, I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to bash Netflix or anything, but, if i were to watch that same film at home i, I might check my email oh, while yeah. i'm doing it yeah. you know what i mean and like and i could still pay i'd probably still be paying pretty close attention i'd probably still love the movie but there's just so many distractions and by seeing it in the theater it's like i would never dream of talking or yeah and i can't pause it to go to the bathroom like i
0: am i'm am there on the movie's terms right and but then what if the distraction is other people talking. You can't help at, exactly at home. You can control that, so yeah. it's a it's a sliding scale. Absolutely, huh? <laughs> I don't know if that's. <laughs> I'm defending that I'm going to have to see it at,
1: at home. No, I know it's it's. I'm just. It's more for me the the realization that like, you know, I'm going to have multiple opportunities to see Roma at home. Yeah, but there will be opportunities to see it in the theater, and maybe I should take advantage of that.
0: Uh, yeah, if you can. But yeah. I, don't, I also don't want to get into the business of shaming people who happen to live somewhere where was not playing. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, next up. All right. Two years ago, Tyler, okay. there's a movie called Moonlight that I liked. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, including my wife, loved this movie. We're over the moon. And I was like. I I kind of love it. I think okay. I came to love it. I, I, I mean, it's good. But I've always felt like I felt like is there something that I'm not connecting to something I'm missing, mm-hmm. something I'm missing. And, uh, whatever wasn't there in moonlight, let me tell you if Beale street could talk is phenomenal. Okay. It is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, in the, in the way that I think is, I mean, it's based on a James Baldwin, uh, story. And I don't know, I haven't read that much James Baldwin. I saw the movie about him, uh, the documentary about him a couple years ago. Um, but, it does seem to uh, sort of visually emulate his his words, his prose, in the sense that it's very poetic. And mm-hmm. so many movies that we see about, you know, struggling, poor uh, minorities, they tend to take on a sort of somewhat verite yeah. look to sort of uh, emulate that, you know, gritty, there on down on the ground, right. you know, uh, you are there type of uh, feeling. And so... Um, This movie does feel like uh, like something different. It feels like something idiosyncratic, something unique and personal in that it's absolutely gorgeous and yet does not shy away from um, how hard uh, these people have it, both because they're a little bit broke, uh, but also because they're black in New York 60 in the uh, black in New York, New York city in the 1960s. Um, uh, not that it's a walk in the park now, I'm sure being black in New York city, but, um, um, there's a, and I think it it actually makes it more powerful that the suffering is, uh, is, is served up right alongside all the beauty and the hope. It Mm -hmm. makes it more, you feel you feel more of their as a you know as a white person and all of that. Uh, I, I feel more that I'm seeing things from their point of view, even though the movie doesn't be look quote unquote realistic. It feels like someone's inner life. You know what I mean? I I do
1: know what you mean. I remember I I described the cinematography, specifically the use of color uh, in Moonlight, as like it is so much better than anybody would have expected and it got me thinking uh, and you mentioned the idea of like grittiness when depicting lower class people of of any race like there's when dealing with and when i say low class i don't mean like ah these people you know look at their drapes i mean <laughs> you know yeah you don't mean no class <laughs> exactly exactly um, and and it's kind of a weird thing that like extravagant cinematography or like really vibrant, beautiful color. Um, that's almost, it's virtually, you know, it's almost expressionistic in a way. Um, it's interesting that in depictions of urban life, um, for people that have less money, um, in a way it feels like no, 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 you, you don't get to have a, your story told like that. You can't afford that. Right. You right. know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's like, no, no, no. Yours is not a life of extravagance. So why would we shoot it in an extravagant way? And, and it feel I can't quite, and nobody's saying that, but that does seem to be the attitude underneath. Yeah. Uh, and which is why, you know, when you go back and watch something like, you know, another, uh, New York movie that's, you know, uh, made by a African-American do the right thing. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's the hottest day of the year and it feels gritty in that regard. But I mean, just his use of colors, camera work, like it is vibrant. It's alive. It's engaged. And it's not like, I feel like people, again, regardless of race, when it comes to like class and especially in an urban setting or maybe a rural one too, there's this attitude of like, no, we need to shoot this. Like it were like, it was a documentary and we don't have any money.
0: Right right, yeah, and and what do you end up, I think with uh, and definitely this was the case of in moonlight too, but I for me personally, I felt even more in in Beale Street if Beale Street could talk is that you get a movie that is, on the one hand very much about race and class and crime and spirituality and all these things without being a polemic about any of these things mm-hmm. because it's about the beauty and the and the truth first it's a movie that is about sympathizing as opposed mm-hmm. to about
1: telling yeah do you know what i mean yeah it's <clears throat> it's what i thought about moonlight is that you know it came at, it it was it was sort of after the oscar so white thing and in the from a the standpoint of intersectionality it's like okay so it's an african-american character but he's also doesn't have a great deal of money and he's gay in a community that probably <laughs> is not that excited about it um it's a weird way of saying that uh they're like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's inner, and yet, so it it has plenty to say, but it's so much more interested specifically mm-hmm. in its characters, and it's that idea that we've talked about a billion times, which is like. By by focusing on on the specificity of these characters and their very specific lives, you actually can make a bigger statement than if you actually were looking to just make a big statement and speak broadly. Um, so yeah, I was I I was interested in if Beale
0: Street could talk. Yeah, it's so good. Okay. Um, unless, do you know the story of the movie? No, I don't. Okay, so there's a uh, a girl. She's pregnant with her. Um, fiance's baby they didn't get a chance to get married because he got uh, arrested on trumped up charges of uh raping a woman which he did not okay. um uh, he is innocent um and so the movie sort of cuts back and forth between their relationship up to the point and then her and uh her family's and his family's attempts to hire a lawyer and get uh, Finn Woodrock plays the lawyer um emily rios who is um uh, uh Jesse's girlfriend on Breaking Bad. Do you remember? Oh yes. Okay. Um, Got it. Uh, plays the 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 rape victim. Um, and, and um uh Dave Franco shows up at one point, which for a second I was like, this is taking me out of it. That's Dave Franco, but it actually ends up being a really <laughs> sweet scene. Um You're not fooling me, movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um uh but uh I think the performances that stand out to me are, I think, already people have been talking about Regina King, absolutely, yeah. um, as as her mom, and then her her dad is an actor named Coleman Domingo, who's he's on Fear the Walking Dead, which I didn't know, oh, but okay. just yeah. earlier, not that long, just a couple months ago, he was the principal in Assassination Nation, which I don't think you saw that uh, either. The two of them, Regina King and Coleman Domingo, are both fantastic. Um, uh, just more reason to see the movie uh you should have one more with my math i do let's see here
1: coleman domingo yeah i don't think i've seen any of this that's unfortunate um okay yeah my last one it is a, a rewatch. rewatch uh, i we watched it in class uh we were talking about genre but uh and i was gonna show unforgiven but we actually wound up didn't not having the time so instead i watched we watched uh, the proposition which i haven't seen in a long time i've still never seen it uh, yeah i think you would love it and i've seen it several times but it had been a while since i saw it it came out in 2006 uh, in the us and It's a John Hillcoat film. I feel like he has not matched uh, this level of visual beauty uh, in his films since then. But it also has a stellar cast. Ray Winstone, Guy Pearce, Danny Houston, John Hurt, Emily Watson, um, David Wynnum. And it's just... uh, (laughs) Wynnum? Didn't kill them. Yeah, he's son of (laughs) a bitch. And and it's it's just such a such a wonderful western and and i wanted to show something that was essentially like a revisionist western and this is one where it it doesn't even take place in the us uh but there are so many parallels it's it takes place in uh, australia in like i think the 1860s or 70s and just this idea of, like blurring the lines between the the good and evil uh because in early westerns There's the black hat and the white hat in this case. In the first scene, you feel like you are seeing Ray Winstone being set up as the undeniable sadistic villain. And then it turns out he's actually a pretty good guy in a world that is not. Hmm. Uh, And what seems like a sadistic choice is one where that is by far the most humane choice he could have made uh, based on the pressure that he's getting uh, to like bring a very specific type of justice to this land and uh, it's just it's a I love his performance uh, and then Danny Houston uh, is a full-on cra- just psychopath and he's uh but he also is, is very high-minded and has very specific philosophies about love and family and there's uh, a very Uh, tongue in cheek and all I'd say teetering on the brink of being a little bit too on the nose. uh, There's a scene where Danny Houston for whom like, it's all about family and love. And somebody is talking about somebody they're talking about the word misanthrope and somebody says, is that what we are? And he goes, he goes, Lord, no, we're a family. (laughs) And he says that as they're about to go murder a lot of people. Um, And it's, uh, yeah, I, I, nick cave wrote the screenplay uh and then he also wrote the music and it's uh, the music is wonderful of course uh, but i also think it's i'm not at all surprised it's not overly lyrical or anything like that but it's just flowery enough that i can Mm -hmm. believe that a songwriter like nick cave would have written it and uh yeah if you haven't seen it i highly recommend
0: it all right, finally, finally, for me, is going to be a big left turn from what we've been talking okay. about. Uh, but I watched Tom Minkwitz's 1987 film *Dragnet*, starring Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks.
1: I rewatched that somewhat recently. Uh, My see, I had like never really ago. seen it.
0: Okay, I, mean, I had memories. I had two memories from seeing it on TV as a kid. That there's a part where the SWAT team storms into a milk factory. <laughs> Like okay. a milk processing plant. Yeah. And there's like milk spilling all over the place. And I remembered that Dan Neckred repeatedly refers to his love interest as the Virgin Connie Swale. Yes. I could have told you, even I, we were just, uh, we will be talking in a few days with, uh, I'll mention on a podcast in a few days that I have trouble remembering characters' names. I've never even seen all of Dragnet. I could have told you the Virgin Connie Swale. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Um, So I rewatched it because Shout Factory put it out on Blu ray. Um, uh, in a, in a collector's edition. Uh, it's not great at all. No. Um, it has some things I love in that. I mean, part, partially it comes from Dan Aykroyd's true love of, uh, of Jack Webb and the character of Joe Friday and, and Dragnet, which I, um, and don't have as much familiarity with, but I also love, mm-hmm. uh, Dragnet. I found when I was, um, uh, when I was writing up the review I was looking for clips from the original Dragnet and someone put together a 12 minute clip of just the Jack Webb intros from the sixties and seventies one. They start mm. to start with, this is the city, yeah. Los Angeles. And then da, 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 uh, that's where I come in. I carry a bat. Dun, <laughs> da, da, da. And it's just like each one is like 20 seconds long and there's 12 minutes of that. I could have watched it all day. It's so great. Um, uh, and so I do I, like, I, I appreciate that. I do think the movie's weirdly, light on jokes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's very plot heavy. It's also like Dan Aykroyd is a, he's an odd guy. And so the fact, the fact that he took a show that he loves cause he, um, is the chief writer of the screenplay, uh, as well. He took a show that he loves. That's about a, uh, you know, down on the streets, cop yeah. talking to, to, to to thieves and killers catching them one by one doing his job and made it about a gigantic pagan cult that is actually a front for an embezzlement scheme between like the city and a priest like Christopher Plummer. It's so weird. It's a weird way to take it. I kind of like that conceptually. Um, but there is some stuff. So you said you watched it recently. Yeah. There's some stuff that doesn't hold up too well. Yeah. Um, there's a part where Dan Aykroyd, uh, outside of the milk factory, is confronted by three thugs, one black, one Latino, and one Asian. <laughs> he gets in a fight with them. The Asian guy is the last one standing, and, of course, he pulls out a pair of nunchucks. Of course. And he has to fight, it off, fight it off, with nunchucks. And there's also a part where they go undercover, um, and it's they're dressed like this for a long ch- section of the movie, where Dan Aykroyd is like a punk, <laughs> but then... Tom Hanks is dressed as like a Latino gangbanger type. And at one point actually does like a, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is a slur. I don't know if Cholo is a slur, but I think it was like a Cholo accent, but that might be a slur. So maybe I shouldn't I don't, I don't think it is. Okay. Um, uh, cause I, I can't remember what he says, but he does like a, uh, yeah. a ASA type of like voice, uh, that's, um, really didn't sit well, uh, with me, but I love, uh, Harry Morgan. Yeah uh who is reprising his role from the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. um but has been promoted to captain is now their boss uh it's uh it it has some fun um conceptual stuff uh i love uh, on the one hand i'm not like i think There's something almost fascist about Jack Webb's uh, view of police work that I think the movie doesn't really interrogate and, in fact, kind of buys into, but also does so in a way that ends up being funny because I love at the climax of the movie, or really, I guess, almost the denouement, it's revealed that the LAPD has their own fighter jet. Yes. (laughs) That says, like, to protect and serve (laughs) on the side. Uh, That's hilarious.
1: It's, yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. There's just... Dan Aykroyd is a hard guy to pin down yeah. because he's not you know like you look at those SNL people I mean Will Ferrell does not write and direct his own stuff uh Chevy Chase didn't like Bill Murray did direct a little bit here and there he co-directed I think Quick, Quick Change, Change which with was Martin Franklin um, and so Dan Aykroyd is kind of the only one that like really like wrote stuff yeah uh and then when you look at something like this and nothing but trouble and you're like, what the fuck is going on with you? You crazy person. Yeah. Like I it's watched, oddball. I watched this movie when I was a kid uh-huh. and the cult stuff freaked me out. <laughs> like it's it, not on a spiritual level, not cause I was raised Christian or anything, but like just some of the, it was, it looked gross and yeah. dirty and I was just like, they're dressed as goats. They're dressed as, yeah.
0: They're, it's like,
1: this is a comedy.
0: Yeah. What is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, I kind of like that, but yeah, it, it's not—it's not a great movie yeah. at all. Um, but he I, is great. Like yeah. his Joe Friday and,
1: character is hilarious. Uh,
0: yeah, and I—I I, I do miss that Tom Hanks, the pre-Philadelphia, like the. Bachelor and, party, and money pit, big too. Uh, like, big, yeah, that was probably the one that. Really,
1: when he's just this fun-loving comedic actor, it's yeah. weird to see him in so slight a thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, because now he's like America's favorite dad type guy, yeah. and here he's the loose cannon, the one who's like bagging chicks and getting yeah. drunk and.
1: Yeah, you look uh, at
0: that, and then like Sully, <laughs> like you don't <laughs> you don't get further. Yeah, apart that's than uh, that. that's true. Um, I did find it like. Uh, I guess this kind of fits in with and I mentioned these in my review things like the Brady Bunch movie or the Starsky and Hutch or mm-hmm. 21 Jump Street. Um, Nothing. This holds a candle to the Brady Bunch movie, um, uh, but the this sort of tongue in cheek adaptation. That's also kind of a, par- a parody. Yeah, I feel like it does seem weird to me. that Dragnet is a the movie is a hard PG 13. Like it's weirdly raunchy at yeah. times. There's a part when they go to a strip club mm-hmm. and I feel like Tom Mankowitz to must be some kind of horn dog because the establishing shot or not the establishing shot, but the opening shot inside of the strip club is a stripper and it's, held for like, it's funny at first because they're like, let's go get a cup of coffee. I know a good place. And then it yeah. cuts like a stripper's ass or whatever. And it's a funny joke for a second. And the the camera just stays there yeah. for way too long. Uh, and there's, there's a number of, of kind of raunchy jokes. Uh, yeah, it's uh, not
1: the, really. the scene of panic in airplane where you just see, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it's there. Okay. So, being who I am, you're often in a position of having to defend artistic decisions uh-huh. to people who say, "Why on earth would you incorporate nudity or whatever into yeah. into your films?" And I can usually, I can usually say, "Well, the director probably meant to do this and this." And I do. And there are some times where I'm like, "Yeah, I think it, that was just exploitative." Uh, I get to airplane and I get to that moment. And I'm just like. It's funny. Yeah, that's it. I'm sorry. That's all I've got. It's hilarious to just randomly see a pair of boobs
0: Uh, just right there. um, Last thing I'll say about Dragnet because it's the last thing in the movie. The rap song at the end (laughs) where Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks in character rap the Miranda rights and some other and parts of the plot of the movie. Yeah, is I thought it was the most embarrassing thing in the world. And then went on YouTube and found out, oh, they made a music video. Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks made a music video, um, for, for the movie clearly on the existing set of the movie. They didn't yeah, like yeah. build a new set. It looks like a super cheap, um, uh, music video. That's the most embarrassing well, thing. And also, that's I kind that's of what love gonna, it.
1: It's, yeah. Yeah. And that's also Dan Aykroyd. Cause he also oh, yeah. has this weird music thing.
0: Yeah. Alice's movie like the great outdoors ends with like a, uh, they dance in the, at the bar. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We did. Get,
1: we got to do a profile of Dan okay, Aykroyd, yeah. like That'd as a, not merely as an actor, but also as just a cr- the creative force behind things. Yeah, because it's crazy. It's a crazy experience. Um, okay,
0: is that it for you? That's it. You have some TV. To yeah. Uh, um, hopefully, hurry through. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'll just say that. I'll just say that I've, I've, I've continued watching Daredevil. And oh,
0: which I, just got canceled? Uh,
1: yeah, a lot of stuff got canceled. Okay. And and I can't f- really figure out why, but at the same time,
0: like I'm not to the end. I don't know um, what note it ends I on. I think I know why it got canceled because Netflix didn't, doesn't really produce it. It's it's, it's Disney. <laughs> sure, Disney owns Marvel. They're doing their own thing. I think Netflix increasingly right. wants to. Uh, that's why they canceled American Vandal too. It's so not wasn't yeah. their show. So I think Netflix is getting to the point where it's going to be. Uh, like HBO, like we show no. s- series that we make.
1: And I do think that, you know, the, the good thing about that, because I had heard about American vandal and, and I know that that's actually being shopped around and maybe Disney will put daredevil elsewhere because it is a very well respected oh, okay. show. Um, I don't know if they will, maybe they won't, but, uh, but yeah, I've really been enjoying it and it's, you know, I'm just kind of repeating myself to what I, from what I've said before, but like they just, any of those other netflix uh marvel shows like they just they really sagged in the middle they didn't really seem to understand what to do and they and they it started to lose a momentum daredevil they've never dealt with that like they've always seemed to have a really strong idea of where they're going and what they want to do and they just hold my interest so uh and then lastly uh, survivor this season is the best one I've seen in quite a while. Oh, really? Yeah, um, good players uh, who who are using you know the game mechanics in a way that is interesting because they'll introduce every season these days they introduce some new advantage and that sort of thing. And in the past, people just don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, And so there's, like this one, it's the first time they've ever done it. There's the, you know, there's the hidden immunity idol Mm -hmm. where let's say there are 10 people, everyone voted for you, but you voted for one other person. Okay, well, you're going to be out, but let's say you play the idol. Well, this is the first season they had an idol nullifier, but it also had to be played. It couldn't be played after. It was revealed that that you had an idol. They had to take a risk and assume that you played it and play the the nullifier at the same time so they could nullify uh, nullify an idol that doesn't get played or the wrong and person they plays they give it. up
0: their nullifier by yeah. doing so
1: yeah uh that is not what happened uh oh, okay. this guy he wasn't cocky or anything but he played his idol because he's like he goes i think they're coming for me better safe than sorry and sure enough they Knew to play the the nullifier, uh, and he was out, and he was uh understandably shocked because no one knew the, the nullifier existed oh. until this moment. So how um, they played if they didn't? Well, I mean, like they didn't announce at the beginning of the season that hey, this is in play. So then somebody found that advantage, and then he told a couple other people. But like, if you didn't, if you were not told, or you didn't find it, right the producers had not given you a heads up oh, that's very or cool. anything like that. So, um, but that could have been a total whiff. Like they, they could have used it wrong and have been like, yeah, all right. It was a good idea. Uh, but no, they used it well. And it's just, it's a really, it's just a roster of really solid players who are very good at manipulating one another. And like, there's a, there's a moment in the most recent episode where Mike white is, saying he's kind of in the middle and so he's kind of he has to make promises to different people and he's lying to someone and he's not sure who yet um (laughs) but he in his confessional he says he's like you know he goes i'm i'm a writer director but i'm an actor as well and i have to act i -hmm. have to you know and so you're like oh yeah that's true that's interesting and then like five minutes later this other guy's giving a confession he's like i'm not sure about mike he's an actor (laughs) you know and so it's just like it's like oh that's interesting that like it means that people are operating on 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 a pretty high level when they can take that into effect into account as well (laughs) so it's a really good season i'm i'm really every, every pretty much every season i always wonder if like is this the season that i start to get bored with it and sometimes that happens and i have to like muscle my way through it and then it's like okay whatever And this is the kind of season that makes me, that reinvigorates my excitement with the show. So I'm, uh, they're doing great stuff with it.
0: Is there still, are you still doing the podcast?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, like uh, off and on, like we were just, we were just out of town for 10 days, so we didn't do it. But we're going to try and and do this week, I think tomorrow. Uh, But I'm not sure. We'll keep, you know, keep you posted.